Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for taking time on a Wednesday night to come and seek God and dig deeper into His Word. We're working on providing ministries for youth and children on Wednesday nights so that I know there are several folks that can't make it because of that. So you'll hear more about that on Sunday, but we're hoping after Easter to have our Wednesday night with children's ministries, youth ministries, and our Bible study, and maybe some other adult electives as well. So uh, really what we need are workers. That's the biggest challenge of all is the ministries there. The children will be there. It's just uh, getting enough workers, and so I'll share more about that on Sunday. But thank you for being here. Thank you for digging in God's Word with me. I enjoy this time together where we can go deeper and, and really uh, begin to take into heart what God's Word teaches us and live it out every day. Stand firm in your freedom has been the theme for the book of Galatians. I hope you'll remember that the rest of your life. If anybody asks you on the street what's the theme of the book of Galatians, you'll be able to say that uh, to stand firm in your freedom. We talked about Am I My Brother's Keeper. We went through that last week. Tonight, the title of our study will be tonight and next Wednesday is The Harvest Principle. How many have ever tried to plant a garden? It's, it's amazing that you hate, take these little seeds and, you don't, and give it just some attention and it grows into some big plant or crop or whatever it may be. I can, I can grow zucchini till I'm sick of zucchini, but certain things don't, I, I can't grow very well. But there is a principle about the harvest that is introduced here that is meaningful because in our lives we plant seeds and whatever we plant is going to come come to life right it's going to come to harvest so everything we say everything we do if we're planting those seeds and those seeds will bring harvest at some point so let's look at Galatians 6 7 through 10 do not be deceived God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. There it is again, harvest, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so Roman numeral one, we're going to talk about two universal spiritual principles, as I shared in my brief little video, if you saw it on Facebook today, it, that there are a lot of natural laws, gravity, what goes up must come down, inertia, the second law of thermodynamics, what, you know, that the, everything is in the state of decay. So these are, these are universal laws of nature. There are certain laws of the spirit. They're universal. They're, they come true, and it's, God has set these laws into motion. We, we wonder why an a, a atom doesn't explode apart with, uh, with the same uh, protons. It's because Jesus holds all things together, the Bible says. And so there's a lot of nature is in, by design, what the Lord has done. Just the fact that there's life on earth, it's, ha it's the perfect distance from the sun, it's the perfect rotation. If it weren't for the tilt, we'd all fly off the earth. And so it's just amazing 
how God has set things in place in nature, but he has also set certain principles in place in the spirit, in our lives. And so we're going to look at these two universal spiritual laws. They come true no matter what. First of all, capital letter A, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That's universal spiritual law number one. God cannot be mocked. Now, let's break down this word deceived. It is planao in the Greek, and it means to cause to stray, to lead astray, to lead aside from the straight way, to wander about, to roam from safety, truth, and virtue, to lead away from the truth, to lead into error. And so the Bible so often warns about deception, especially in the last days. There is going to be such a great deception. And this is why we need to know the word. We need to know the word in our hearts. We need to be able to defend our, our faith because the days are coming where the deception will be so great that even the elect would be deceived if that were possible. So if that's you know, the ones God has chosen, the ones that have put their faith in Christ and are committed to Christ, even we could be deceived if that were possible. And so we have to be on our guard. You, you know, we have lived through the last couple of years. How many know you don't know the truth anymore? One person says one thing, another person says another, this expert, that expert. I like what Pastor Frank says, the definition of an expert is an ex is a has-been and a spurt is a drip under pressure. So that's what we're getting with our experts. There's these has-beens under pressure. But the whole thing is, is how many know just because you're labeled an expert doesn't mean you're, you're speaking the truth? And then things change, you know, with the, the changing times. And so I have never had less confidence in what the press and the, our, our, lead, our political leaders are saying because it's hard to know the truth. That's why we know the word. Because the word will keep us from deception. But this, all throughout scripture, it warns about deception. And so we need to really take it to heart. Again, I've often said, if all, all the Bibles were taken from us, physical Bibles, online Bibles, would we have enough word in our hearts to be able to live out our faith? Do we know enough of the word and have enough of the word memorized or at least understand the, you know, the, the summary of scripture and and I used to be amazed when I would ask my mom, I'd say, so, you know, where does it say rejoice in the Lord always? And she'd be able to tell me, oh, that's in, you know, Philippians. I think it's in Philippians. But uh, she would, you know, I was just amazed at her recall of the word. And it's because she studied. She memorized. And we need to get the word inside of us because, and at the same time, we need the, we need the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment. And discernment enables you to determine if, that's, if that is from man, from God, or from Satan. You're able to distinguish what is going on. And there are times where I've been in a service or, or been with somebody, and I feel, this, I feel this discernment come upon me like there's, there's a problem here. This is, there's something to be concerned about. We need to strip that gift in these last days. Deception is coming. It's here. I'm just amazed how sometimes our media just lies, lies to us, and we have to find the truth. And guess what? It's in God's word. That's the anchor for our soul. It's unchangeable. Everything else in this world changes, 
Things that used to be good are now evil, and now the things that are evil are celebrated as good. By the way, that's in the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible said that would happen in the last days. So, deceived, to cause to stray. So, this is two-part. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That means that some are deceived and are mocking God and think they can get away with it. But we need to watch our our own lives. Are we mocking God by our words or our deeds? Well, let's, let's unpack that and see what that's about. Let's look at this word. Remember when we do a word study, I love word studies, as you can tell. Uh, go back to the original Greek, and I'm going to share this a little bit on Sunday, but everything is about context. You've heard me say that as well. You got to know the context. So you don't just The verse you're studying, you need to read the verses before it and the verses after it, because that'll give you the context of that particular verse. But you also need to know the historical context. What did it mean back in the day it was written? You need to understand the cultural context. When, you know, Jesus spoke a lot of things about, about agriculture and agrarian society. So you need to understand that culture to understand what Jesus is saying in that. And then the, the other context is the original languages, and Greek and Hebrew and Chaldean Aramaic. So I love when I do a word study to find out where that same word, that same word is used in other places in Scripture. It helps you get a deeper meaning of that word. So let's look at the word deceived. In, it's used in Matthew 18, 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders... Remember, that's what deception causes you to do, to wander. Uh, then, where am I? Oh, he will, not leave, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for, for the one that wandered off? There it is again. And so that is the same Greek word for deceived. How many know that when somebody is a believer and they wander off, they're deceived? Satan has lied to them. And sometimes it happens because they've been wounded by other Christians, what, you know, I can understand, you know, perhaps leaving a church or leaving a, a person, but I just can't understand leaving God, because God's never done anything evil toward us, ever, and so it's important that we don't wander off, but that's what the enemy's doing, he's trying to pick off one or two, he doesn't, he can't come against the whole flock, he can't overwhelm us, but he can one or two. And so we need to guard our heart against wandering because that's Satan will whisper deception. And, you know, we're all going to experience tragedy of some sort. This is the fallen world we live in. It's how we respond to disappointment, how we respond to tragedy. I remember one time I was hoping to get a certain pastoral position. And, of course, I prayed the prayer, Lord, your will be done. Lord, I don't, no matter what happens, if... This is not you, close the door. And then he closed the door and I was upset. I remember riding my bike and I was just crying out to God, I can't believe, you know, and here I was. I told God, your will be done. And his will was done and I wasn't happy with it. And so we've got to watch for that. How, How do you respond to disappointment? I know of many people who have wandered from the faith because of disappointment. They wanted something they, want, they prayed for something, and they didn't get it. And so we have to 
guard our hearts from that and respond in faith. Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, same Greek word is used. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. We should study Matthew 24 often. It's about the end times. And again, a mark of the end times will be this great deception. 1 Peter 2.25, the same word is used. For we, for you were like sheep going astray. There it is again. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you get the, what the word deceived means. It means to wander off, to roam about from safety, and to lead away from the truth and into error. And so we see that, that we are not to be deceived for this reason. God cannot be mocked. What is the word mocked? Here we go. Another word study. It looks like musketeer, but that's not how you say it in the Greek word. Mukteridzu comes from the root word for nose or snout. This is, some, this is why, another reason I love doing word studies, because where the words come from. To be long-suffering means to be long in the nose. You know, that's another word that I, I love the, the root of it. So the word mocked comes from the word, root word nose or snout and means to turn up the nose at, to sneer at, to deride, or to treat with contempt. So how many know we're not to turn up our nose to God? But in some, time, in, in some ways we do. But God cannot be mocked. And, and we're going to find out why. But let's take this, this one word, and it's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. So we can't take another scripture to help define it, because it's the only time this, this word is used in the New Testament. But what we can do is look at another translation. And let's look at the Amplified Bible in this, in this scripture. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. And so there are people that mock God to his face, use his name in vain, make fun of Christianity. I remember I was watching a show one time and this lady said, well, it's the year 2000 and Jesus hasn't come back yet. She was mocking the belief in the second coming of Christ. I mean, you know, that's dangerous. God will not be mocked. But sometimes it's not a, a, an in-your-face mockery. It, it's to show his commandments, to show contempt for his commandments, his precepts, setting them aside. He, he inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. If we try to pull a fast one on God, how many know we can't? God knows, he doesn't just know our actions. He knows the, the thoughts and intents of our heart. Man, we can be glad our spouse doesn't even know that. I mean, can you imagine if they really knew what we were thinking? We would be dead men. No, uh, but God does. God knows what we're thinking. And and. We can fool ourselves, we can fool other people, but we cannot fool God. And when we intentionally do something, knowing full well what we're doing, 
then we're mocking God. And the universal principle, God can, will not be mocked. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can treat God's commands with, with contempt and not suffer. And so, what are some ways that people mock God? Any thoughts on that? What would be considered mocking God today? What's that? Very good. Saying there is no God or there is no Christ, which is amazing because there's more evidence that Jesus lived and died than there is for the whole Roman Empire existing. I mean, there's so much historical evidence. I love reading archaeological uh, articles, in, especially in Israel, in the Holy Land, because they keep finding things in the Bible. We knew they were there, but now they're finding them. But you're right. To, to, to say there is no God is a mockery of God. What, what other ways is God mocked today? Yes. Not to believe in his word. Not to believe in his word, absolutely, and not to, to obey it as well. Very good. Other ways that God is mocked today, yes. Very good, and that's a cop-out, but a lot of people use it, that if there is a good God, then nothing bad should happen. But the reality is there's also Satan, and there's also free will of man. And so, you know, and, 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 and at the bottom line, God doesn't always owe us an explanation. You know, he, you know what's amazing? I taught on the book of Job. Don't worry, I don't have any plans for that in the near future, because, you know, usually whatever book of the Bible I'm preaching, I have to live it. And I, I did preach it one time, and it was like, okay, I got to get, get through this. So, so from now on, I'm preaching on prosperity. Bless God. But, uh, but anyway, Job, he didn't sin, but he demanded an answer. He said, God, I, I have a right to know why. That was the big question. Why? Why did all this happen to me? And when God showed up, guess what? He didn't answer Job's question. He said, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of there? And when, it was, when God was done questioning Job, he says, I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. And so, you know, we need to, we, we won't always understand God's ways and, and what he's doing. But, and we won't always get the answer on this side of heaven. And I know, haven't we all said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus this. And I got news for you. When we get to heaven, we won't care. And the Bible also says we'll know. So we'll be, we'll be fully known and we will know fully. And so we will have full revelation. And we will have answers to those questions we had. But I don't think we'll care. Because there is Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But it's a good point that, you know, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? He's not. He's a loving God that provided a way by giving his only son. What more could he do? I mean, you know, that is a loving God, giving his son. And for us to reject his son, that's mockery. And that's disdain for the, for the sacrifice of God, giving his only begotten son. And so sometimes we try to find answers that we'll never find in this life. And, and sometimes we need to realize God doesn't owe us an answer. He really doesn't. 
Sometimes he gives it. He, he tells us why. But God doesn't owe us an answer. He's God. And I think sometimes there's not enough reverence for who God is. That he, that who am I to demand that he answer me? Who am I? And that's what the psalmist said. Who is man that you are even mindful of him? And so there are sometimes we, we mock God by demanding an answer before we'll do it or demanding a guarantee before we'll obey. You know what? He doesn't owe us that. We owe him. We owe him everything. And so you know, I, I want us to just think about, Lord, is there any area of my life that's a mockery? Is there anything I'm doing that mocks you in your holy name? We may not even be aware of it because we can deceive ourselves. But God cannot be mocked. The second principle, capital letter B, do not be deceived, a man reaps what he sows. So universal spiritual law one, God cannot be mocked. Number two, we reap what we sow. Number one, the principle of sowing and reaping is a universal spiritual law that holds true in every context. It's amazing in every context how sowing and reaping holds true, the, the principle. As in the case of agriculture, how many know this? That what is reaped is always much greater quantity than what is sown. We sow a small seed and it grows into a large plant. So, Whatever we reap will be much greater than what we've sown, good or bad. And so if we, we sow good, we will reap much better good. I know that's not good English, but we will, it's much greater. If, if, we, if we sow love, we will receive great love. I mean, you, we sow a little, but it, we reap much. And that's the part of this principle you don't plant one corn kernel and get one corn kernel. You get a whole corn stock with a bunch of corn kernels. That is a principle of sowing and reaping to keep in mind. And, you know, that, that is true negatively. But the great thing about our sin is we will not be judged for our sin. So we won't reap in heaven what others are reaping in hell because of Jesus's grace and sacrifice on the cross so we may reap some bad things in this life but we will not reap any bad things in the next life praise God by his grace but we will reap good things in this life and in the next life but I'm still in my home thunder hang on we'll get there so when we whatever we sow is much smaller than what we reap number two oh well not yet in addition there is always a period of time between the sowing and the reaping. We know it's ridiculous to plant a seed and go out and look the next day to expect to put, pick fruit off of it. It takes time. And yet, how many of us do that? I know I'm guilty of it. I pray a prayer and, and go out and look for the answer the next day. Maybe God's not going to answer it the next day, but am I going to keep praying? Am I going to keep watering and fertilizing and bringing light? I think our prayers are often like that. I don't think there, there, there are some instantaneous answers, but prayer is a journey with God. 
were, were like a child with his father walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And so prayer is this journey, this, this relationship, communication with God. And it's, it's just as important for us to listen as it is to speak in our prayers because God will speak to our spirit. Now, it'll always line up with God's word. That's how we know it's God. You know, God's not gonna go, you know, tell you to steal someone's car. God told me to. Yeah, it was the, you're, you're nuts. Because God will never violate his word. So that's the judge. That still small voice will never contradict God's word. But he will speak to our hearts at times. He will, he will speak. But we have to understand that even prayer is the law of sowing and reaping. You sow much prayer, you're going to reap a greater answer. But it, 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 you know, it, it takes time between the sowing and the reaping. And you know, this is frustrating to me, but so many things in my life, the, the blessings of the Lord have rarely come immediately. They've come in time. And sometimes the blessing I thought I wanted wasn't what I really wanted. And so God in his grace has been merciful. So number two, the principle of sowing and reaping can apply either in a positive or negative way. It's a universal principle. Whatever you sow, good, bad, or ugly, you're gonna reap. Hosea 10, 12, and 13. I love this scripture. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. We we sow righteousness. God's righteousness, not our self-righteousness. But if we we live rightly, that's what righteousness means, is to live right, think right, and, and act right, and believe right. If we sow that, we will reap the fruit of unfailing love. Mm, that is so, so powerful. And then what we need to do, break up your unplowed ground, break up your fallow ground and rain, rain, rain. Anybody remember that song? Okay, nobody. I must have made it up myself. Uh, what's that? Sing a, little bit more. Sing a little more. It's like, do you remember name that tune? That 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 game show where you would play a few notes and then, and you know, there are people like one, one note, ding. Oh yeah, that's, you know, the ode to O'Malley. I have no idea. But anyway, here we go. So break up your, your unplowed ground. For it. So how many know there's preparation before you plant the seed? You, and, and the Bible speaks that, that, that is the, the, the soil is our heart. And our, the, our heart needs to be soft. It needs to be pliable. And that's the seed you want to plant in. Remember the parable of the sower. You don't want to sow it on hard ground or thorny ground or rocky ground. For it is, I love this. I, I gotta, I'm going to preach on this scripture sometime. For it is time to seek the Lord. Amen? Until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. And you have eaten the fruit of deception. There it is again. 
So sowing and reaping is universal. It's used in a positive context and a negative context. If we sow righteousness, we will reap unfailing love. But if we sow wickedness, we will reap evil and deception. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It'll be more. But whoever sows generously will reap generously. This is in the context of giving financially to the church, to the Lord, tithes and offerings. And so we know that, and, and how many know when it says so sparingly, it's not the amount. Remember the widow's might. She gave two pennies, but that was a greater gift than all the wealthy gave that day because it's all she had. It's not the size of the gift. It's the size of the sacrifice of the gift. And so when we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. When we sow generously, we'll reap generously. Letter A, lowercase a, sowing to please, sow to please the sinful nature and you will reap destruction. So let's look at the word destruction. Phthora means decay, ruin. So if we, if we sow to please the sinful nature, the flesh, then we will reap decay, ruin, corruption, perishing. It is the physical, moral, and spiritual decay or rottenness that results from the sins of the flesh. Let's look at this. Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Same Greek word as destruction. Just different context. And again, this is the second law of thermodynamics. Everything in creation is breaking down. It's in a state of decay. And it's right there in Scripture. And brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. How many know God? there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? Now, you've heard me share before. We used to recycle before it was cool. We were green before we even knew what that was because we, my parents had gone through the Great Depression. You don't throw anything away. And I, I swear I had to bring my, my sandwich baggies from lunch home with me and the foil. Did anybody have to bring home the foil wadded up in a ball? Because you can use that again. Yes, and so, you know, my mom was on top of it long before, you know, it was the cool thing to do or, you know, if it's society. But here, I'm here to tell you something. We can't save the earth, no matter how hard we try, because it's going to burn with a fervent heat. Now, I'm not saying we should trash the planet, but I am saying I am very suspect of the environmental movement. It's a new religion. It's the worship of creation, which again was prophesied in Romans that it, in the end times they will worship the creation instead of the creator. And that's what's happening in our world. It is a religion. It is the world's religion. And so there's nothing wrong with recycling, but I'm not going to worship a tree. It's idolatry, just like in the Old Testament. And again, I'm not going to trash the planet. You know, I like a clean house. There, you know, I, I, my wife is fastidiously clean, and so whenever she's gone, I clean the house. 
And, and there's my kind of clean, and then there's Jolene's kind of clean. And so I make sure I do it Jolene's kind of clean. So I love it. I, I like being clean and have everything in its place. But the reality is we can't save this earth. It is destined for destruction, decay, but it will be restored, a new heaven and a new earth. Without the fallen nature, the lion will lay down with the lamb. It's going to be awesome. First Peter, or 2 Peter 1.4 through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption, same Greek word, I forgot to capitalize it, in the world caused by evil desires. Evil desires bring corruption to the world. Number two, if we continue to practice the acts of the sinful nature, we will suffer the consequences in our bodies, in our souls, and ultimately in our spirits. I don't want us to feel like we're judged for every single sin because God's grace forgives us. There's a difference between committing a sin and living a sinful lifestyle. One we, we all struggle with, it's punctiliar. We may commit a sin, repent, we're forgiven. But there's a difference between somebody who commits a sin and stays there, a linear line. And again, there's, that's where we begin to reap. And I, I, there is a difference between committing a sin and living in it and staying in it and dwelling in it. Again, it's still sin, but there are different consequences for it. Romans 7, 4 through 5. It's like when Jesus said that if, you, if a man lusts after a woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. If you've committed adultery in your, in your heart, you shouldn't say, well, I might as well do it in the flesh then, since I've already done it in my heart, because there is a difference. And the, the difference is also in consequence. I know I'd be a dead man, that's all I can say. Amen. Romans 7, 4, and 5. So, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions around, aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore the fruit for death. When, before we were saved, we bore fruit for death. But now that we're believers, we have fruit for life. God wants us to crucify the sinful nature. And how many know that's daily? We, we tip, pick up our cross daily. But someday, bless God, we'll be free from this mortal coil and this sinful nature. It will be gone. We will battle it for the rest of our lives on this earth. But there is a day coming where it will, the battle will be over. No more sin. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. Now, this is... An interesting scripture. I don't have time to dig into it tonight. When you are assembled, there was a man living with his, his mother-in-law. And Paul was confronting the Corinthian church because they hadn't done anything about it. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And so, 
I don't have time to unpack this. One of these days, I'd love to go deeper in that. What does that mean to turn someone over to Satan? It's not something you should do lightly, right? I mean, you know, you turn them over to the Lord first. But if they don't respond to that, there's a time where you turn someone over to Satan. And that's not a ceremonial public thing necessarily, although he said while you're gathered together. But we understand that sometimes that's necessary to turn someone over to Satan so that they'll suffer in their flesh so that their spirit will be saved. That's what it's about, is the salvation of someone's spirit. And sometimes we, we bear the consequences in our flesh so that our spirit can be saved in following the Lord. Again, more questions than answers on that. We'll unpack that some other time. So we don't want to please the sinful nature. We don't, and how many know, whatever, whatever you feed will grow. And so we don't want to feed the sinful nature. It's a, it's a monster. And so we want to feed the spirit. But we, if we feed the, the sinful nature, then it will grow. And it'll assert control over our lives. And so we, we sow righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Letter B, sow to please the Spirit and you will reap abundant life and eternal life. Look at this, Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. I'm telling you, when we live in righteousness, we can lay our head on our pillow at night peacefully. Righteousness is not misery, it's beautiful. Holiness is, is, is sacred, but it's wonderful. Because when we live in righteousness, there's peace. We, we reap peace. I love that scripture. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. One thing that drives me nuts is when I go fishing, and there are noisy people. Or if I'm like fishing on a lake and people have their stereos blast on the lake, or you know, you go camping and they have a stereo on the campsite next door, like they think it's gonna be blocked by what, the air? I mean, that's why I go camping, so I don't have to hear noise. And so I just need to be more righteous, I guess, so I can have quietness and confidence forever. Righteousness gives us peace, quietness, and confidence. That's powerful. When we obey God's word and we walk in it, and I, like I said on Sunday, not just the big commandments, do not steal, do not murder. How about these other? Do not fear, do not be anxious, do not worry. Those are commandments too. And I'm telling you, if we do not worry, how many know you'll have more peace? You'll have more quietness. And the other thing sin does is it robs us of our confidence. Not self-confidence, but just the confidence of life. Okay. Now, I'll close with this. Mark 10, 29 through 30. This is powerful. Remember, if we sow to please the Spirit, this is what we, we will reap in this life and in the life to come. Jesus said, verse 29, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters 
or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. How'd that get in there? And in the age to come, eternal life. And so if we sow to the Spirit, then we will reap these, these things. If we sacrifice to the Lord, we will reap this in this life and in the life to come. In spite of the struggles of this life, how many know God still wants us to have an abundant life? He still wants us to have a life of peace, a, a life of joy. And sometimes I'm, I'm missing out on those things. And so I have to look at what seeds am I planting? And I will tell you, a lot of it is the, the, the mind weeds, right? The seeds we're planting in our own mind. It, it is true when we, we dwell on all the things that are negative and, and fearful and we imagine the worst case scenario. How many know when you let your mind plant those seeds, there's going to be a harvest? And it's not a good one. If, if we plant seeds of worry, we will reap it. And if we plant seeds of doubt, we will reap it. And so it's so important what seeds we plant, what thoughts we dwell on. Bible says, take every thought captive and submit it to Christ. Think, of, think on these things, whatsoever is good and lovely and of good report. The Bible understood that the greatest battle, as my mom used to say, is between your two ears. It's your mind. That's the greatest battlefield. And if we can plant seeds of righteousness in our mind, we will reap quietness, peace, and confidence. Let's pray. God, thank you for this teaching. Lord, thank you for the law of sowing and reaping. And God, I just pray that you would help us sow more seeds of righteousness. And so, Lord, that we can reap your love, unfailing love. And so, Father, I thank you that great is our reward in heaven. It can never be taken away. Jesus, you said it's better to store up treasures in heaven than treasures on earth. But thank you that you came to not just give us eternal life, but an abundant life here on earth. Help us live that life, Lord, by what we sow. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll pick up the rest of those scriptures next week. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.